This is April 30th, 2020. Uh, April has been called the cruelest of months. As we know here at this, in this climate, Rochester, New York, this has been an exceptionally cold, rainy April. But this has to have been the cruelest of the cruelest months of the year with uh, the pandemic continuing on with no real end in sight. I've been hearing more lately, more speculation about how much longer this uh, lockdown or social distancing will be going on. Nobody knows, of course, exactly. There are more people getting restless and wanting to open things up. But uh, according to the experts I've heard, uh, the epidemiologists and virologists, it could be months more of social distancing, more than months. I've been hearing lately the whole summer, uh, maybe less restricted social distancing, but still, I heard some world-famous expert say uh, earlier this week that he would expect that we're going to have to maintain this at some level until the fall of next year, 2021. And then he said, at the earliest. How can we do this? Well, we can't do it by thinking about it, torturing ourselves with how much longer it's going to be. That's that's a, a losing proposition. It's a, it's a fundamental lesson that we learn over and over again in Zen practice that if we allow ourselves to allow our mind to venture into the future, fretting, worrying, having thoughts of how can I do this, we're, we're dead in the water. No pun intended, really, not intended. We learn this in Sashin. On day two or three, when many people are wondering what in the world possessed them to undertake this sitting so many hours a day, day after day, uh, the worst thing you can do is start counting off how many more days there are, how many more hours there are in the day. This is just, it's, it's not wrong. There's nothing wrong about it. It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's just foolish because it doesn't work. It doesn't help. What helps is finding a way to be present, fully present. There's a uh, <clears throat> there's an, a Japanese saying that Roshi Kaplow often quoted. Um, the devil laughs at she who plans for next year, and he he said it uh, to mean how how limited, uh, how sort of irrelevant 
our long-distance plans are when so much can intervene. Well, <laughs> this, this could never be more obvious than now when, once this pandemic struck. What, what All those plans we had for the future, what do they amount to now when we don't know anything about how this is going to unfold? But I got another way to understand this. Uh, the devil laughs at he who plans for next year. The devil laughs not just because of our feeble, feeble um, ability to plan long distance, but also he or she laughs uh, because when we're if we're planning. If we're planning unnecessarily, of course we have to plan at times. But if we are lost in our thoughts about the future, then we're really um, sabotaging ourselves. The way we would be, as just mentioned, in Sashin. So now, today, tomorrow, next week, the week after, the week after, the week after, the week after, how do we carry on? under these conditions. Not by thinking about the future, but just one step at a time. I, um, I've given a talk in the Zendo during Sashin about an experience I had when uh, I was climbing a volcano in Mexico. Um, I'll give you the short version now. Uh, we, we, this volcano is uh, 18,000 feet and um, you can, they have a road, a winding road uh, that you can drive up to the 12,000 foot level. And then, and then you spend, most people would spend uh, the night in a uh, kind of a shelter. They call it a refugio, a refuge. And then the standard practice, which we also did, was to get up at four o'clock in the morning and try to make those last 6,000 feet um, before <laughs> you gave out. On that particular day, we uh, there was a big snowstorm. Um, later heard that <clears throat> the people who had not gotten very far up were being turned back. They weren't allowed to continue. So it was a very, very harsh conditions. Snow seemed to be just coming, roaring down in our faces. And um, I just kept looking up, you know, take a few steps. I was wildly out of breath at that altitude. This was maybe the, uh, I don't know, 15,000 or 16,000 foot level. And uh, just heaving, breathing, <gasps> and then stopping. We had... I'd, uh, an ice axe and crampons uh, in that in those conditions, and it would look up, and it was never anything to see. It just kept. There was no peak that you could see. It was just uh, snow, just a field of snow disappearing into the blue sky, or the gray sky at that time, and uh, it was really discouraging. I was wondering how I would ever make it up to the crater the peak of the volcano. And then I thought, wait a minute, I've got this koan, moo. And 
out of sheer desperation, because I was just about delirious with fatigue. I had, uh, I was hallucinating, um, these, it's shivering. This is from the early signs of uh, altitude sickness. I finally said, okay, I'm not going to look up again. I'm not going to look up again until I get to the crater. And, uh, and then to brace myself, to fortify myself with every step, every step I planted, I would just roar, moo, moo. So it was a, a, a purely physical, physical experience. I was forcing thoughts out of the mind. I would not allow uh, myself to think or to look up. Uh, and then... After how long, I would never be able to say. Suddenly, I was looking down into the crater. Smoldering sulfur gases, wisps of smoke. So that's that's what we have. Whether we're working on Mu or another practice, it doesn't matter. The point is, Mu is just a way to get our mind out of our thoughts and into the present. And that's the same with any other practice, Zen practice, breath practice, another koan, shikantaza. It's, they're all uh, methods of being able to detach from thoughts, and our thoughts are not our friends. And they're not our friends these days in this pandemic. One of the things that... Uh, many people are noticing is the absence of touch, physical touch. I ran across an article in the, in the New York Times by a Kristen Radke. Uh, this was uh, over a month, well over a month ago, March 21st. This is just when people were realizing what we had to do without. She is the, the author of a book called Seek You, uh, that's S-E-E-K-Y-O-U. Seek You, Essays on American Loneliness. And the article is What We Lose When We Can't Touch. And she talked about what psychologists call skin hunger, the longing for human touch. She makes the point that it's not a, a, just a want, but a need we're designed to be brought to another person because so much our immune system, uh, the regulation of our hormones, our mental health, so much relies in part on human contact to function as it should. That is, all those things. And then she itemizes a few of those. Physical touch triggers the orbitofrontal cortex, which leads to feelings of compassion and releases oxytocin. Regular touch reduces levels of stress hormones. Hugging stimulates the thymus gland, regulating the body's white blood cell production, which we know helps fight infection. That's based on research of the University of North Carolina. From the same university, they found that women who were frequently hugged 
have lower blood pressure than those who are not. And the people who received regular hugs displayed fewer flu symptoms than participants who were hugged less frequently. That's a Carnegie Mellon study. Oh, great. So, all these benefits of hugging when we can't hug. I, I, I wonder... I wonder whether after all this, whether it's six months or a year or two years, whether as a society we'll go back to even shaking hands. I don't know. I think, of course, a lot of cultures, a lot of countries, uh, people shake hands, but not all of them. In Japan, at least, I don't know, in modern times, whether... It's changed, but uh, by and large, uh, it's quite obvious to anyone in Japan that uh, they are less, they're certainly not, they want to be hugging, casually hugging. And um, even the handshake is something, I think it's just been adopted maybe to some degree as a, from the, as a Western influence, but uh, more, more typical in Japan would this be the the bow, bowing to one another, not touching. So how does that fit with all of this research that I just read from? We'll have to see. We'll have to see whether we go back to uh, shaking hands or more casual hugging. So, meanwhile, as we continue to slog through this period of isolation, widespread isolation, we do have video chats, video functions. We have Zoom, we have FaceTime, Skype, Google Apps, um, and I, for one, have... It's been a, a revelation to to appreciate what uh, what that we can sit together together in quotes, but yes, sort of together uh, using uh, a a platform like Zoom. Uh, I've I've gone into this kicking and screaming because I've always felt. Unhappy with these these kinds of functions of video conferencing, and uh, this morning I read an article also in the New York Times or yesterday that confirms why not only I but others I've talked to feel dissatisfied with these video um, functions. And the article is called Why Zoom is Terrible. And then the subtitle is There's a Reason Video Apps Make You Feel Awkward and Unfulfilled. And this is by a Kate Murphy, who is a uh, frequent writer, contributor to the New York Times. She lives in Houston. She's the author of a book titled You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. Um, because I've heard from others about the limitations that, that 
the dissatisfaction of using this these uh, video apps. Uh, I'm going to read some of this to I don't know to assure you that uh, you're not alone by any means. This article was uh, dated uh, yesterday, April 29th. And I'll just read a few paragraphs here. The problem is that the way the video images are digitally encoded and decoded, altered and adjusted, patched and synthesized, introduces all kinds of artifacts, blocking, freezing, blurring, jerkiness, and, of course, out-of-sync audio. These disruptions, some below our conscious awareness, confound perception and scramble subtle social cues. Our brains strain to fill in the gaps and make sense of the disorder, which makes us feel vaguely disturbed, uneasy, and tired without quite knowing why. I just uh, had Dok San with a Sangha member who's been teaching uh, college classes and, and reporting how worn out he is by the end of the day, more so than <clears throat> when he was doing so in classrooms. And uh, the author here, Kate Murphy, uh, quotes a uh, another professor of Columbia Business School, and he's been teaching his previously in-person leadership class via Zoom for about a month now, <clears throat> and he said it's been strangely wearing. This is what he said. This is a Jeffrey Gold. I've noticed, not only in my students, but also in myself, a tendency to flag, he said. It gets hard to concentrate on the grid, and it's hard to think in a robust way. <clears throat> and then she says, this is consistent with research on interpreters working at the United Nations and at European Union institutions. Uh, these interpreters reported similar, similar feelings of burnout, fogginess, and alienation when translating proceedings via video feed. And uh, we found this, the same things have been found in studies on video psychotherapy that indicate that both therapists and their patients also often feel fatigued, disaffected, and uncomfortable. I think I may have mentioned uh, in one of these corona casts that my clinical psychologist's wife uh, reports um, that uh, people kind of getting worn out during a session and wanting to end the session early, which she had never seen before uh, with uh, regular in-person uh, sessions. And she herself comes home uh, feeling more uh, fatigued than she used to. Uh, then the author acknowledges that, of course, video calls are great for letting toddlers blow kisses to their grandparents showing people what you're cooking for dinner, or maybe demonstrating how to make a face mask out of boxer briefs. But if you want to really communicate with someone in a meaningful way, video can be vexing. This is foremost because human beings are exquisitely sensitive to one another's facial expressions. 
Authentic expressions of emotion are an intricate array of minute muscle contractions, particularly around the eyes and mouth, often subconsciously perceived and essential to our understanding of one another. But those telling twitches all but disappear on pixelated video, or worse, are frozen, smoothed over, or delayed to preserve bandwidth. Not only does this mess with our perception, but it also plays havoc with our ability to mirror. Without realizing it, all of us engage in facial mimicry whenever we encounter another person. It's a constant, almost synchronous interplay. To recognize emotion, we have to actually embody it. That's a fascinating finding. To recognize emotion, we have to embody it, which makes mirroring essential to empathy and connection. When we can't do it seamlessly, as happens during a video chat, we feel unsettled because it's hard to read people's reactions and thus predict what they will do. And then she quotes a professor of psychology at the University of Wisconsin, our brains are prediction generators. And when there are delays or the facial expressions are frozen or out of sync, as happens on Zoom and Skype, we perceive it as a prediction error that needs to be fixed. We're having to do more work because aspects of our predictions are not being confirmed and that can get exhausting. Here's another uh, point she makes. Video chats have also been shown to inhibit trust because we can't look one another in the eye. Depending on the camera angle, people may appear to be looking up or down or to the side. And she says, for this reason, law scholars and criminal justice activists have questioned the fairness of remote depositions, hearings, and trials. And then she says that, <clears throat> skipping to near the end here, that uh, experts say no facial cues are better than faulty ones. The absence of visual input might even heighten people's sensitivity what's being, to what's being said. And then finally, you can have a sense of hyper-presence on the telephone because of that coiled relationship where it feels like my mouth is right next to your ear and vice versa. Provided you have a good connection, you end up hearing more. Slight tonal shifts brief hesitations, and the rhythm of someone's breathing. When it comes to developing intimacy remotely, sometimes it's better to be heard and not seen. I think many of us have can relate to this from uh, being in the zendo. When there is a talk, um, teisho or encouragement talk, dharma talk, um, Someone recently um, asked whether in our Teishos and Dharma talks that we're doing now remotely, virtually, that uh, whether we might have a video aspect to it. And uh, 
what I said was, uh, no, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want people um, having to bother with looking at my face. There's nothing much to look at. Just I'm just talking, pretty much. And uh, and also, I think there you do lose something. You 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 when you when you bring in the video component to live live uh, talks, it's too easy to get to be distracted by appearances. And so we have we have uh, then. In the we've learned in sittings and the zendo and um, that that you can you can hear a lot. I think more you can hear more, you can hear better, more acutely when you're facing the divider, or when your eyes are not up, because then the the listening uh, occupies all your sense, your 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 whole uh, hearing capacity. Uh, is bringing in data that otherwise is split with visual data. Well, now, okay, uh, I'm going to now sidestep and say I still think that 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 uh, video zoomed sittings are the greatest invention since sliced bread. And uh, I can't see how we will ever stop doing this. I mean, the 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 joy of of sitting uh, sitting where you can actually see, you can actually you're invited into people's sitting areas, into their homes and their sitting areas. And not that we're looking all the time at those things, but just to glance at. Uh, the different people on the screen to see where they're sitting, see their beautiful postures. Um, beautiful because this is the Dharma. This is this is uh, turning the mind back to see in a whole different way. That's beautiful. See so many. Dharma sisters and brothers working, applying themselves. It's uh, we're never going to stop doing this. We'll we'll. I, I we'll have to. I don't know what. Uh, just speaking for myself, how. How much in the once this is all over, how much uh, we'll be doing the the zoom sittings and how much I'll prefer to be in the zendo um, I think the latter is is always going to trump the video experience um, but uh, the video the video app in meditation is a whole different thing than uh, in conversation. That I think is is what I would draw from this article. Uh, why Zoom is so terrible. All right, um, let's end here and see you sooner or later. <laughs>